This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Today we are in support of those courageous women who have spoken out about being sexually assaulted and harassed by Hollywood film producer Harvey Weinstein. And uh, these very violent uh, stories that we've been hearing uh, from the American women and also from our own Jennifer Ferguson, and they've described feeling helpless, depressed, insecure, all kinds of things, vulnerable and sometimes even suicidal as a result of what's, what, what they had to go through. The pain they suffer is just so difficult to comprehend. Till it happens to you, you don't know. Till it happens to you by Lady Gaga, hashtag me too. And Lady Gaga was also sexually assaulted and she wrote this particular song to highlight the pain of sexual assault. And uh, I believe that a portion of the proceeds was donated to victims of sexual assault. Very nice of her, very generous of her. The song is fantastic. Till it happens to you. We know that workplace sexual harassment is rampant. In the UK alone, I read that uh, they did a survey of 1,500 people and of which 52% had been victims or have been victims of unwanted sexual behavior at work. And for women, and listen to this, between the age of 16 and 24, the percentage is 63% have been violated in some way or another. Joining me in studio today is specialist labor law attorney, Johan Burtis, a partner in the Johannesburg office of Baker McKenzie. And I think a lot of us know that Baker McKenzie is one of the world's largest law firms in revenue and employees. A very warm welcome to you, Johan. Thank you very much, Gary. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. And thanks for the, the showcase to raise this very pertinent and, and uh, germane issue that we need to discuss. Yeah, I think here, we're here today to advise our listeners, Johan, and you can help us on that, how the law protects you it protects you in South Africa uh, if it should happen to you. Yeah, amen. And may I, may I say, heaven forbid that it happens to, to, to anyone, but we know this is th- th- it happens. The workplace is a little microcosm of society, and we're not shielded from what's happening in the broader society. But uh, sexual harassment is a scourge, and uh, hopefully listeners can take some pointers as to how to deal with it should this ever happen to them in the workplace. Well said, Johan. We hope that today's show will serve as a wake-up call about raging sexual harassment. It's non-stop. You read it all over the place. And uh, the the tragedy is there's so many cases you don't read about that people keep quiet about because they're trying to protect something, either themselves, their jobs, or their employer. 
And, and this is true, and I must say to you, as a uh, as an attorney, probably the most gut wrenching and 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 difficult cases, you know, that that come across my desk are exactly these ones of sexual harassment, um, because of the very direct and personal impact that it has um, on on the victims. And I think part of the difficulty that many and let's be frank, many women are the victims of sexual harassment. Although you know it's not gender specific, but by and large, women are still the victims. I think many women struggle with it within the workplace because they have this notion that nobody's going to believe me. You know, nobody's going to take my word against the senior executive or the senior colleague or the senior statesman here that I'm dealing with here. And and that is one of the myths that I hope that we can explore today and try and dispel. Cool. This is a further show in a series in which we collaborate with Legal Talk South Africa and with their membership of 133,000. We are answering legal questions, both they are and we are, at Cliff Central, and I think we, all of us, are giving out the best legal advice. Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Please have a look and give us a like if you can. And our Twitter handle is at Hertz Law. Johan, when we talk about sexual harassment, most of us think of the unwanted sexual advances, sexual assault, touching, inappropriate kind of conduct. But it's not just limited to that. It's it's very often when a woman refuses, if I can use the term, to put out. And uh, one of the victims of Harvey Weinstein said, he said to her, you'll never make it, baby. This is how the business works. You either do it or you're out. And... Uh, Tragic. Yeah. That's that's the sad part. So this particular girl fled, the one who said those words. She became a costume designer ultimately instead of a movie star. Um, that's what he did to her. And how tragic is that? I mean, how tragic is that that somebody that probably has heaps and mounts of potential cannot pursue their chosen career because the environment in which they need to, to, to operate has become so hostile that you actually cannot do what you uh, what you what you set out to do, and mm-hmm. that's one of the difficulties that what we see often with sexual harassment. That perpetrators of sexual harassment, um, these sexual predators, create an environment that is conducive to their conduct and that is hostile to to, to women, um, where it's easy for them to become victims of sexual harassment, and they feel that listen, they either have to put out or put or, or shut up. Yeah. This this very hostile work environment that you talk about, these women feel intimidated and they feel uncomfortable. Very often it leads to all kinds of side effects, emotional, psychological, um, of the well-being of the very person, and sometimes even to depression. And on that aspect, if I, if I may talk to you about depression, we know that uh, they refer to depression as, as the common cold of mental illness because one in six South Africans, t- tragically, suffer from depression. How does the labor laws treat depression? Assuming someone is depressed, we're slightly off point, but they could be depressed as a result of being violated in some way. What is the law on this one? So, so it's interesting. There was um, recently a uh, an opportunity for the Labor Appeal Court to have a look at this whole notion of depression, how you deal with it. And without you know getting bogged down in the, in the details on the law and the issue, depression um, is viewed as a... Um, a, a, a form of medical incapacity. So 
depression is like many other illnesses, whether it's alcoholism, whether it is mental illness, whether it's physical impairment, uh, and the, impl- uh, the the law views it as a no-fault issue. So it is not your fault that you became depressed. It's not your fault that you have uh, a, a certain uh, physical or, or mental disabilities. And what is expected of the employer is to provide reasonable accommodation of that. So the, the law sets out in, uh, in Schedule 8 to the Labor Relations Act, there's a process that must be followed, and there are various considerations for the employer to take into consideration uh, before terminating the service of somebody due to something like uh, depression. And the mm. Labor Appeal Court again said there, you, you can't just terminate the service of somebody due to depression. In that specific instance, it was a transcend matter where it was said that you could um, you could have, uh, in line with the uh, recommendation that was made by the medical practitioner and the employment employee well-being program uh, manager, you ought to have transferred this employee into another environment where the, the 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 stress that caused the depression could have been alleviated, and the employer was faulted for not taking that sensible step under the circumstances. So the message to employers out there is that one needs to be certainly cognizant and aware of the fact that. Uh, depression is viewed as a, uh, as a as a form of, of illness, and it should be treated along the same lines as you would treat any other employee who, who suffers from some sort of a, a physical or, or mental uh, impairment. So, Johan, the obvious answer is if an employee feels depressed, and we, we're not talking about you know, just waking up feeling depressed one day, mm. if it's uh, psychologically or physiologically depressed, what should they do? They, they, they should go to the employee and say, what, I need help, and... Uh, Practically, what kind of help is available? So many employers have various forms of employee well-being programs um, uh, available where they can place certain assets at the disposal of the employee. The employee can be sent to a medical practitioner. The employee can be sent to counseling. They can be Who pays offered- for all this? There's no there's no hard and fast rule on that. Yeah. Um, especially larger organisations would have funding available for such activities, but there's no absolute requirement in law that says the employer has to fund all of this. Many employers will look at the employee and say, "Listen, can your medical aid perhaps fund some of this?" But but I think the the cardinal thing is. If an employee feels that he or she is suffering from uh, a disability such as um, a depression, take steps. Don't just leave it. Don't feel constrained because either there's no money available or you feel that the employer was not going to be sympathetic about it. The law places an obligation on an employer to be receptive to deal with these issues. And um, I've, I've seen situations gone completely pear-shaped in the workplace where parties just don't deal with the issue for various reasons. I think the best advice I can give to employees is that there is protection within the law. And you will often be pleasantly surprised as to how receptive employers are in this day and age to come to your assistance. And worst case scenario, if they don't, you are not without recourse, Mm. but do something about it. Okay, let's get back to the uh, sexual harassment aspect. So many of our young, gorgeous South Africans are targets of sexual harassment, as we know. What advice, Johan, can you give to a young, inexperienced, eager employee who, who doesn't really have the experience to deal with being hit on? Uh, dealing with all these proposals that people are putting forward, you know, if you do this, I'll promote you, and if you do that, you know, you'll get uh, more money and so on. What should they do? Yeah. So I think for for youngsters going into the workplace, the, the first advice that I can just give them is 
perhaps read up. Read up on sexual harassment. Have a conceptual understanding of what is acceptable in the workplace and what is not acceptable in the workplace. I think that will assist you just to go into this discussion armed and understanding that because often uh, I find that people think, but this and this is the norm. This is a norm in the industry. Like Harvey Weinstein is reputed to have said, you know, this is, you're not going to make it here if you don't put out, you know. Mm. Understand that I'm not aware of any workplace where that is indeed the acceptable business norm. So mm. understand the issue about sexual harassment, firstly. Secondly, um, when I look back at the cases of sexual harassment that, that, that I've dealt with in the past, without fail, the victims of sexual harassment have said to me that they wish they did something earlier on. You know, don't wait and for things to escalate and to to get to a point where you now absolutely feel this and I can no longer put up or tolerate with this. Try and nip unwarranted attention, unwarranted action in the butt as early as possible. What do they do? Do they say to the person, don't say that to me, don't touch me, don't look down my dress, don't stand too close to me? Is that what you do? I, I 100%. And, and of yeah. course, I'm not sitting here, you know, in the, in the comfort of an air-conditioned office and trying mm. to dictate to people what they should go and do in the workplace. You know, I've got real appreciation for the fact that people's livelihoods depend on this. They need to earn a living. Uh, and it, it, there's no one workplace is exactly the same as another one. Mm. But try and understand the situation that you're in and try and deal with the greater response that's appropriate. So if it's you and a manager, for instance, and the manager makes a risque joke and it's only the two of you, then have the courage of your conviction to say to him, look, um, that, that may be funny, but I, I feel I uncomfortable. Don't like I, don't, yeah. I feel uncomfortable if you do this. You know, yeah. I would prefer if you just don't do this. If you're in a larger environment and uh, there's a risque joke being made and you don't feel comfortable in, in uh, t- uh, making issue in front of everybody else, then go to the person afterwards and say exactly the same sort of discussion. Mm. Of course, if there are more serious things that happen, then you don't have the luxury, in my view, to wait for the appropriate moment to raise the issue. I mean, I've dealt with situations where there was severe sexual assault taking place on, on victims. Then, then you do what you need to do. Make no mistake. I mean, you, you do what you need to do in order to protect yourself. Yeah. Uh, and don't feel alarmed by disparities in power or in position. You know, you do what you have to do in order to protect yourself. Uh, I would also say to, um, especially female employees, young female employees, um, have, have, have discussions with colleagues in the workplace. In my experience, HR managers are generally very receptive and they understand the… the well, they have to be. Of they, course. They I mean, they've severe got, pressure, yeah. I, I, yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah. But because they also deal with these issues and because of their studies and their background and their experience, they are more likely to understand the gravity of a situation than some, you know, with respect, manager on a, on a factory floor who, who, does not, who, who may not see the, the subtle nuances here. Yeah. Last um, piece of advice that I would want to give to potential victims of sexual harassment, raise the issue higher up within the organization if need be. I think at a lower level, at supervisory or junior management level, you may get people who don't pay heed to this, or you may get people who um, who would turn a blind eye or would not want to rock the boat, you know, if I can mix the metaphors. But um, at, at, a, at a senior level, at a CEO executive level, I have little doubt that most people at that level understand how serious these issues are and would at the very least not want to be seen to not do anything about this. Mm-hmm. So within the context of where you are, you know, try and make the right call, but for, for, for all my money, do something about it. Don't just let it lie. Yeah, and one of the defenses often raised by a person who's been accused or is accused of being uh, what we call a, an a harasser, um, he says, I was only trying my luck. That's all I was doing. What, what, what does that mean? What is, legally, when he says, I was only trying my luck? 
Is so, there such a defense? No, there's, there's no defense. I mean, and, and it, it reminds me of the defense, but, but, you know, she, she was wearing that skirt. I mean, she was, she was, she was asking for it. She was inviting it. You know, it really galls me. Mm. Um, I think, Firstly, understand that within the context of a workplace, there are acceptable norms and behaviors and that we can expect of our, of our employees. Um, if, you know, and, and let's also be frank, I mean, you're never going to be able to outlaw um, romantic relationships in the workplace. I mean, even if you have hard and fast rules on these things, it's very difficult to, to uh, regulate behavior or, or people's emotions. Mm. But what you can expect of your employees legitimately is that they, they behave workplace appropriately. So if you have feelings for a coworker, you know, um, I don't think any employer can legitimately say to you, under no circumstances may you and your coworker who have similar sort of feelings not go for a drink afterwards, you know, and you know, enjoy each other's but company. There, sorry, there are company policies that I've seen that say you may not um, – I don't know what the exact wording yeah, is. Yeah, fraternize. You, you, you can't fraternize with uh, someone with, within the workplace and, and, and or it, your manager. And it, and it may be. It may well be that there are certain environments where the the interaction between staff is of such a critical nature. I'm trying to think of, let's say, uh, an, an emergency room, for instance. Mm. You know, there everything needs to happen with military precision there. And you cannot afford any sort of ill feelings to, to, to come into play there. But I must say to you, on a very practical level, I'm, I'm struggling to see how you will enforce and police and manage that. You know, uh, I think sensibility will always uh, prevail. But, but to get back to our, to our issue here, I think it is never acceptable for a colleague to push his luck or to try his luck and just, you know, cause, like, like casting, uh, casting a line into the water and see what's, what's going to bite, you know. Um, Every employee has the right to dignity, and that dignity extends to uh, the dignity within the workplace as well. And um, if 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 you are an attractive or good-looking individual, that does not invite other people to disrespect your dignity and say, "Listen, let me try and see if I can, you know, try my luck with, you know, so and so from." Can I can, can I ask you a curveball question? Should naturally sexy men and women dress professionally to work, or can they dress sexily? Too sexily. What, what what should the answer be there? I think when in, within the context of sexual harassment, mm. it can never be a defence that the victim of sexual harassment was dressed inappropriately and that warranted my behaviour towards her. She's so, wearing a very short mini. Well, she works for a law firm. Well, then control yourself for crying in a bucket. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, uh, do, I would do, take. I mean, you, you're one of the largest law firms in the world. Do you have a dress code? We, we've got a very relaxed dress code, but what we say is we dress business appropriate. So depending on who you go and see and your clients and the people with whom you interact, you will dress accordingly. So today I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a tie, which I normally don't do because I'm seeing a client after this, uh, this discussion and their practice is that people wear ties. Yes. You know, when I go to a, to a construction site, for instance, I'm not going to wear a suit and a tie. Mm. Um, so within our environment, we're saying that you must dress appropriately for the workplace. But we're not saying, you know, um, you can't come dressed in a bikini to workplace because it's going to give the, – the men are not going to be able to control themselves if, as if a result a, of if it. If a male or female, if they're sexy, they're sexy. That's the way it is. And uh, I think – I don't think you can dictate what they should wear. I, I, and if they are wearing a skirt that's shorter woman, shorter than, than, than 
you know, they're normal, that's fine. Good luck to her. But just don't do it. Don't hit on her. That's. And I think the more important thing, and this perhaps is a thread that goes through this whole environment and the workplace and what constitutes a hostile environment, what constitutes sexual harassment. I think every employee is under obligation to create a harmonious working environment and to create an environment where colleagues can get along with one another. It's actionable. I mean, you can be dismissed under South African law if you purposely set out to create an environment that causes conflict with your colleagues. Mm. So within that context, we expect everybody to, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya for want of a better expression, you know. Mm -hmm. So come to work, but don't dress in such a manner that it's going to give offense to uh, to the majority of people. We don't expect everybody to be prudes, but mm. we also expect you to have uh, to be sensible and understand that different people have different sensibilities. And within that context, dress appropriately. Well said, Johan. Let me, let me tell you what one of Weinstein's accusers said. Uh, I'm going to quote. She said, I learned that you shouldn't wear shorts even in summer. We, oh, we, make, we make light of it. It's but unfortunate, man. Yeah, it's, that's it's, the way it's, it is. It's, it's so wrong. It's so wrong on so many levels, you know. But uh, I, I, can, I can understand uh, where, where she's coming from. I hate the society that we've become as a result of it, though. Yeah. There's something that I want to raise with you, and it's, it's something that a lot of guys generally feel a bit uh, upset about. The, and the, and the, when, they get, when, when there's an accusation leveled against them that they're harassing someone, they say, but I'm just flirtatious. I'm, I'm a flirt by nature. Henrietta on Legal Talk South Africa, she says, I now know why women in South Africa don't report sexual harassment. I'm quoting her. I absolutely despise our justice system. Yes, on confrontation of the situation, the wife of the man who did this to me said he's just an extrovert and a jovial man. Yeah. Um, what's the answer to that one if, you fl if you're flirtatious? Yeah. And it's taken the wrong way. Hi, gorgeous. You look fantastic today. Love your skirt. Now, now that sort of behavior has no place within the workplace. Let's, let's be frank about that. So if, if your natural disposition is to be flirtatious, then go and be flirtatious in the pub afterwards or go and be flirtatious in your private, uh, in your private life um, after, after hours on your own. It's making own us time. prisoners in the workplace. But or is that the way it is? You just do not comment on anything that anyone's wearing or saying or doing that could be construed as being uh, harassment. I think it goes back to that principle of saying, as an employee, if I'm there and you're paying my remuneration, you've got an expectation that I will behave accordingly. And I'm not going to create an environment where that is not conducive to your business. Mm. Your business is not the business of, you know, uh, being, being flirtatious. Your business is the business of, of uh, selling legal advice to people. Mm. So if I'm going to be that individual within your environment, on your dime, that now creates an uncomfortable environment that where people would leave because I'm flirtatious or where you are unable to attract the right talent because you've now developed a reputation as a workplace that allows this sort of flirtatious behavior mm. to, to, to take place, then surely that's bad for your business and you should be able to come to me and say, listen, either you stop that now or you're out of here or depending on the severity of it, say to me, there's no place for you in this workplace. If you want to be flirtatious, go and do it on your own dime, but not whilst you're working here. Good point. Johan, there's something that uh, I picked up on Legal Talk. It comes from a guy called Stephen. It's quite upsetting, this, and it's, it comes from a school kid. He says, guys, I just want to know the procedures of a sexual harassment case as some guy smacked my girlfriend's ass at school and she didn't like it. I have evidence of him admitting that he did and what can happen to him as he's also still in school. Now, I think this happens quite a lot. This bullying that we've done, and it's not quite bullying, guys are touching and pinching and smacking and doing what they shouldn't do mm -hmm. in high school. 
and, and terrible that's, stuff. That's yeah. wrong on so many levels. So yeah. within the workplace, is, it, is that sexual harassment? Is that defined as sexual harassment at school? I, 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 you know, I'm no, I'm no uh, expert on uh, on on school law, you know. But if I just take the, on the general principles within the workplace, that would certainly be sexual harassment within the workplace. The Employment Equity Act tells us that um, harassment is a form of discrimination, and sexual harassment is a form of harassment, and therefore. Harassment is, is, is prohibited. Mm. With outside of the workplace, we've got the Prevention of uh, Unfair Discrimination Act, PAPUDA, and that similarly outlaws um, discrimination by extension harassment and sexual harassment outside of the workplace. So I think a victim in that case would be able to rely on PAPUDA and approach the Equality Court with a, claim, with a claim for sexual harassment. There. Yeah. You can also get a, re- a protection order and all the of rest. Of course, yeah. of course, apart from all the other normal civil and criminal uh, criminal law remedies. But I don't think anybody should labor under, under any apprehension. Just because it takes place outside of the workplace does not make it right. What it's should Stephen do? I mean, should he go to the principal on this one? Or? I would most certainly. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm involved now uh, kids, uh, school um, in, in the school trust and the governing body. And I can say to you, that sort of thing we'll take extremely seriously. I would hate to think that any school out there would not sit bolt upright when this sort of thing is reported to them. There's no place for it. There's no place for it in a workplace, no place for it in a school. There should not be place for it in our society. Do something about it. What about sending gifts to clients to try and get more business sweet talking? Uh, how far can one go in whining and dining? Slightly off point but of, of sexual harassment, but an interesting question that we got. I mean, the, the, um, the, the, the issue that may actually tie all of this in is this whole notion of compliance. Compliance is big business at the moment. It's big business in law. It's big business globally. Um, but when we look at compliance, we're not only looking at um, prevention of anti-money anti laundering or bribery or corruption. Compliance has a wide, uh, wide reach, and it also talks about compliance with HR policies and employment laws. So I think under the, the banner of compliance, certainly one should be extremely careful, you know, depending on the organization, depending on the country where you're operating in, um, as to how far you take this thing of extending gifts and courtesies to clients. Mm. What you will find, certainly in the time that I've been practicing, Many clients are much more sensitive to this whole notion of, you know, um, getting gifts, uh, being invited for golf days or taken out for, for lunch or even breakfast, you know. Um, so my general advice to employees and employers out there is be very careful as to where do you, where do you draw that line. And if you don't want to see your name in the Sunday Times front page, um, this weekend being linked to the fact that you have provided this business courtesy to a client, then don't do it. Yeah. What about, I mean, you advise companies all the time on labor issues. If somebody comes to you and says, I need a sexual harassment company policy, is there such a thing that they can, they can get? Absolutely. And it's, it's really good business practice to have yeah. a sexual harassment policy. And How does it read? What kind of thing is it having it? Good question. So what the sexual harassment policy would typically stay, state, you know, um, is that firstly what constitutes sexual harassment, uh, the the organization's attitude and view on sexual harassment, namely this and this sort of thing is is prohibited and is just not going to be tolerated with this in the, this environment, and then give practical steps and guidelines as to what alleged victims of sexual harassment can do. So this is the reporting line. This is to whom you should be reporting it. Progressive companies have even gone as far as saying, listen, like um, bribery and corruption allegations, we're going to set up an independent hotline that's been run by a big auditing firm, for instance, outside mm. of the organization where you can anonymously report 
allegations of sexual harassment. That's how you create the culture within the organization to say, we will not tolerate this. And you have a voice. We will listen to you. You know, you don't need to provide us with empirical evidence of the sexual harassment. This is the thing about sexual harassment. Very seldom does it take place in front of other people. There's very seldom other witnesses. You almost never have CCTV footage that shows the sexual harassment. You know, it's often the word of the victim versus the word of the perpetrator. But I want to let employees understand that our justice system is geared to deal with that. Often these cases of sexual harassment hinge upon what he said and what she said. And our courts deal with it. Our CCMA deals with that. The uh, commissioner or the judge will evaluate the evidence of the one party and weigh it up against the evidence of the other party and decide which one of the two versions is more probable. Victims should not feel constrained from raising issues of sexual harassment just because they feel they don't have other evidence to back them up. As a closing point, and just on the Harvey Weinstein case, we wish all the women all the best and we support them. For any people that are applying for a job, and uh, there's an insinuation by the prospective employee that if you tow the line with me, you'll get the job. Give them the advice, please, the last bit of advice. Do you do you want to work in an organization you know, where that is indeed the case? Now, I'm got, desperate for a job, absolutely desperate. I, I would you – know, it's, again, it's easy for me to say. You know, I'm not one of the 27.7% people that are unemployed out there at the moment. Mm. But – Consider the, the consider the impact that this will have on you on the long term. So my first advice would be: is don't do it. And secondly, report it. Report it to the report it to the police. Before you get employed, can you rep- can you report it before you employed? Under this is the interesting thing yeah. about the Employment Equity Act because applicants for employment um, have protection under the Employment Equity Act, including the protection against unfair discrimination. Yes. And as we said, harassment and sexual harassment are a form of unfair discrimination. So what you can do, you can actually lodge a complaint with the CCMA on sexual harassment even before you got employed. Excellent. That's what I want to hear. That's what we want to know. So before you get take up the employment and there's a suggestion by the prospect that you have to do something in order to get the job and it's a form of harassment, please report it. Absolutely. Is that what we say? 100%. Excellent. Johan, thank you so much for this. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. Um, we're going to move on and we're going to run a separate podcast now, which is uh, called Sex at Work. And it's completely different, but we've got you in studio as a labor specialist. You'll enjoy that one to our listeners. Please find it on the separate podcast. Until next time, cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.